welcome to episode 99 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to figure out how many board games have actually been on Kickstarter. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're revisiting Kickstarter board games. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, like Detective Stories Case 1, The Fire in Adlerstein, and Betrayal Legacy. Then, we're discussing how Kickstarter has affected the board game industry and our top five kickstarted board games. And now, here are your hosts, Ambie and Crystal. This is the 99th episode of Board Game Blitz. Can you believe it, Ambie? Uh, kind of. <laughs> it's <laughs> it, it it's all a blur at this point, but we wanted to celebrate our upcoming 100th episode by giving away some cool stuff to you, our listeners. So we are having a contest. It's Woo-hoo. been a little while. Yeah, this one's yeah. a big one. We have to give a huge shout out to our sponsor, Gray Fox Games, as they have offered us a couple of really cool prizes for this. So the grand prize of the contest is going to be a Kickstarter edition of Reavers of Midgard. Y'all know uh, how much we love Champions of Midgard and how much I enjoyed my one play of Reavers of Midgard. I know I've only played it once, but that's because I don't have a copy, but you could have a copy of Reavers. And they are also giving away a bundle of a couple of their really fun social games uh, from their social sloth imprint. And that is Draw Your Own Conclusions and Feelings. And on top of that, Gray Fox is so generous. I'm going to be some generous too. And I'm going to be giving away a bunch of games from my own collection. Some of them are in shrink. Some of them are not. They're all coming as is, but we are giving away a bunch of prizes. So if you head to our social media pages or our Board Game Geek Guild, you will find the ways to enter this contest. There are a bunch of them. So there's too many to mention here. You're going to have to go do it on the web somewhere, but we really hope you'll enter. We'll have them in the show notes as well. Please enter the contest. Uh, The contest will end at midnight Pacific time or 11.59 p.m. Pacific time on March 20th. So get your entries in now. And yeah, we will be announcing the winner of the contest in episode 101, which, oh my gosh, I can't believe that's two episodes away. (laughs) Yeah. Also, if you're listening to this episode on the day it releases, Dice Tower West is currently going on. So if you're also there, um, Crystal is at Dice Tower West. I am not, but Crystal will be there. And I'm there right now. Oh, yeah, she's there now. So it's you so go, fun. Go play a game with her. Yeah, come find me. Say hello. Come to the Dice Tower shows. There's going to be some neat stuff going on, some top five lists and whatnot Ooh, that cool. I'm participating in. So uh, very exciting. Recently, I got a review copy of Detective Stories Case 1, The Fire in Adlerstein, and I played through it. I played through it by myself. So this is a detective-type game. It's untimed, and it basically is a box with a bunch of evidence in there and no real instructions. You're just trying to solve a case, and then you go online to say the answer. So Detective Stories is a new series, but published by ID Venture. This case one came out in 2018 in German originally, but now uh, it's in English as well. It was similar to games that I've talked about before, like The Tale of Ord and um, Dispatch by Breakout, which I mentioned in earlier episodes. They're very open-ended. There's like a lot of realistic looking things like newspapers and pictures and stuff. And then you look at all the stuff and put it together in order to solve the case. There's also some online stuff that you need. 
So I like that type of game and it feels really immersive like you're actually a detective and I had like all of the stuff laid out on the floor <laughs> everywhere and I was looking around at everything and then like going to my computer and typing in stuff and looking up different things. So at one point Toby walked in and he's like, whoa, <laughs> you're like a detective. <laughs> so, I, so It works. Yeah, so, so it was very immersive. I played through it. It lasted like 90 minutes total. So it was shorter than I expected. Well, it actually says it lasts around 90 minutes on, on BGG, 90 to 120 minutes. From other types of games like this that I've played before, those have been more involved and longer, but they're also more expensive. So this one was a lot shorter and it was actually pretty easy. There were a couple of puzzles, but most of it was just like piecing the evidence together and a lot of the evidence was already gathered for you. So it was pretty simple, but I, I liked it. But it was a little too easy for me. So I kind of wish there was more to it. There's going to be more cases. I think they already have like three cases in German, but not in English yet. <laughs> so I'm excited for future cases in Detective Stories. But that was Detective Stories Case 1, The Fire in Adlerstein. Oh, also, the story is about someone who was burned in a fire. So that might not be appropriate for children. <laughs> I was actually going to ask you because I was I was wondering if with like easier puzzles in theory that to me lends itself to like, oh, maybe you want to like do this with your family. But yeah. like was would the content be OK for maybe like preteens or like teenagers? Yeah, I think it's OK for teenagers just like because it's about death. So you might not. Not for little, not on for little ones. Yeah, <laughs> it says age 13 plus on on the box. I think so. OK. But that's Detective Stories Case 1, The Fire in Adlerstein. Oh, and also I wrote up a blog post on it on our website. And it has a couple pictures. Not too much because of spoilers, but you can see what it looks like. Well, speaking of games with spoilers, <laughs> I believe I talked about this early on in the campaign and I said I would come back to it. And we had some issues around the holidays because one of the people in my game group works for UPS. And so he basically is really super busy for two months straight. But we got to come back to Betrayal Legacy finally and we finished our campaign. So I am not going to spoil any of it. So if you are someone who has not played Betrayal Legacy and you are worried about spoilers... Please do not worry about that. Uh, I am just going to talk about my experience with the game and things that you will know instantly from opening the box and reading the rulebook. So Betrayal Legacy is a re-implementation of Betrayal at House on the Hill, which came out in 2004. Uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill was one of my first hobby board games that I played when I got into the hobby in 2007. And it's always kind of had a little spot in my heart, even though over the years, more and more of its flaws have also become apparent to me as a gamer. It is very silly as a game. You are literally discovering and constructing a haunted house. And at a certain point during the game, this is in the base game, not legacy necessarily, but in the base game, at a certain point, the haunt begins. And usually one of the players turns into the traitor and all of the other players are fighting against them in some kind of scenario where there are monsters or creepy crawlies or other things happening with the house itself. Betrayal Legacy takes that same formula and expands on it to some degree. The base mechanics are still the same. You're still discovering the house tile by tile, and eventually a haunt begins in most of the scenarios. But they have put some twists in there to kind of change it up to some degree, and the rules are a little bit different. 
and there's an overarching story. So you are generations of people who keep coming back to this same haunted house. Why? I do not know because people keep dying here and things are happening and it's creepy. And why you'd be like, oh yeah, my grandma died here. I'm going to go visit it. Like that doesn't seem like a thing that you would do. But each person controls a family and you have a family name and you have a family crest and uh, you just keep coming back to this haunted house year after year after year, all the, for lots and lots of generations. It is a really cool legacy game and a lot of people really, really like it. And I had a lot of really fun moments with it. I would not warn people away from this one. I think if you really like Betrayal at House on the Hill, like if you really love that game, this is one you should definitely pick up and play. But there is a caveat. And that caveat is that similarly to Betrayal at House on the Hill, based on what tiles have been discovered in the house, what cards you've drawn, and how the haunt begins, and what aspects of the haunt are happening or going on, which again, I will not spoil, you can end up in situations that are basically unwinnable, and that, in regular betrayal, isn't that frustrating because it happens and then you're done with it. But in Legacy, it becomes a little bit more frustrating, especially when it has to do with the overarching story. And for me personally, our very, very last chapter of the game ended horribly. We did not even get to finish the scenario based on the way... Like, we all died before we could even get to the end of the story, so to speak. Again, I'm speaking very vaguely because I don't want to spoil it, but like the things that you're supposed to do at the end, we didn't even get to do because we just all died and there was nothing we could do about it based on the way things fell. So that was a really long description to say, I came away from the experience very disappointed, um, but I still think, I'm, I'm still glad that we played it. And that's important to note. It's kind of similar, honestly, for me to Time Stories. But with Time Stories, everyone's going to be disappointed. With Betrayal (laughs) Legacy, not everyone is going to end up disappointed. Like, there is a very good chance that you could have a great time the whole way through with Betrayal Legacy. Just the way things shook out for my group, we ended up having a pretty disappointing ending. So, I... Yeah, it's it's really a bummer. And I can see, wh- I know exactly why the things happened the way they happened. And it's kind of just luck of the draw. Mm-hmm. But it was not super fun at the end. Like I literally was sitting head in my hands. Like literally we were taking our turns knowing that there was nothing we could do. And at a certain point we had to call it because we were like, there's no way we can ever progress further than we've gotten. And we, we ended up going ahead and fighting the bad guy and dying anyway but it just felt so so fruitless so i think it's worth playing if you love betrayal betrayal legacy is definitely a great experience but just temper your expectations more than i did uh, because things can go off the rails so that is betrayal legacy So I think for the first time in our podcast, we are revisiting a topic for the third time, which I mean, when you get to close to 100 episodes, I think that's bound to happen. But this one felt especially worth having because it is about Kickstarter board games and the way board games and Kickstarter have worked together over the time that our podcast has existed has shifted and changed in pretty dramatic ways. Yeah. So... We, uh, our first episode about Kickstarter was episode 25, which we released in April of 2017. Then we did another episode in July of 2018, uh, episode 56. 
And fun fact, when we recorded the first one, I had backed 30 board game projects on Kickstarter. When we recorded the second time, I had backed 55 board game projects on Kickstarter. And as of now, I am up to uh, around 70. But admittedly, those are not all individual board games. A lot of them are expansions to existing board games or board game accessories. So I... uh, yeah, it seems like a lot, but when especially when I counted the ones since July of 2018, almost exclusively they were expansions to games that I already owned, which I don't know if this is for later in the discussion, but that feels like something that Kickstarter has become really good for mm-hmm. is expansions, because how else is a publisher supposed to gauge demand? Like, obviously yeah, they know how many copies of the game they originally published, but knowing how many people will want more content for those same games is probably very difficult to suss out. Yeah, Kickstarter is really great for that. And also for small publishers getting demand too, because small publishers don't have the money in order like, to be able to make that risk of publishing a bunch of games without knowing that people want it. And what has been happening really recently is a lot of 18xx games have been going on Kickstarter, which is pretty exciting. And that's increased the amount of Kickstarters I've backed. Like, I, I think I was at three before and now I'm at four. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but there's also two other 18xx group buys I've been a part of that I didn't personally back. <laughs> well, for the record, you're a smarter person than I am. I think when it comes to the Kickstarter stuff, because I have a lot of games that I've backed on Kickstarter that have shown up to my doorstep and I've never played, uh, including and I mentioned this in our previous episodes, the first game I ever kickstarted, which was called Machine of Death. I backed it in 2013. And I've never played it. And guess what? As part of our contest, I'm giving it away. So somebody (laughs) else will maybe get to try it out. I don't know if it's good or bad. I've never played the thing. So the the first Kickstarter I backed was Robot Turtles, the board game. I backed it for my future children. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I have played it kind of like with other people's kids because I we got like three copies and gave some away. But I haven't really like played it for the intended purpose yet. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I actually just recently bought a copy of Robot Turtles for my nephew who just turned five years old. <laughs> Yay. So yeah, I still have some time <laughs> before I yeah, play you, it. Yeah, the, the twins aren't quite ready for Robot <laughs> yeah. Turtles yet. Although they're probably, now that they're uh, starting to roll over, they're starting to act more like turtles, right? Like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> How do you think the Kickstarter landscape has changed in regard to board games in the past few years? I still don't like look at Kickstarters that much, but it's been a lot bigger than it used to be. Like before, a lot of the Kickstarter games weren't very good, I think. And now like a lot of Yeah, the we good we used to make fun of Kickstarter yeah. games, right? Like yeah. everyone kind of used to be like, "Ugh, Kickstarter game." <laughs> yeah. But now it seems like oh, all the big ones are on Kickstarter. Basically everything. I don't know. It seems like everything's on Kickstarter nowadays. And People really like it, and there's a bunch of games coming out every week that people have their eyes on. So, yeah, the quality and quantity has risen a lot, I think. I would agree. I think definitely for... There are board games that would not exist were it not for Kickstarter. Um, we mentioned in our last episode that we did about Kickstarter, Gloomhaven was had its second mm-hmm. printing on Kickstarter at that time. Or no, maybe that was our first episode. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was a while ago and I still haven't played my copy. I know I'll get to it eventually, but like Gloomhaven wouldn't exist. I don't think yeah. if Kickstarter didn't exist because that game is too costly to produce to just take a risk on it. 
there's other games like that as well, like the the new edition of Suburbia that they put on Kickstarter or this Foundations of Rome game that just recently was on Kickstarter. There's a whole lot of those, like big box, lots of, lots of components. Mm-hmm. They, they could not exist without the money being placed up front. And to that end, even though I know Kickstarter, you are supporting an idea and helping someone create a thing and technically there is no guarantee of receiving a product at the end of it. It does feel like Kickstarter started off all of that way and very much clearly that way, but it, to me personally, feels like a pre-ordering platform at this point, especially when you're backing Kickstarters from known board game publishers. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, ever feel any risk when I'm backing Kickstarter projects unless I'm backing from someone who I have no knowledge about and then honestly I'm not usually backing those Kickstarters yeah it does really feel like a pre-order thing and it gets the game out there more too because people look at Kickstarter so it's not just a pre-order because if you just had a pre-order on your website you'd have to like advertise more to get people to see it but because people naturally look at Kickstarter for board games and they'll see it and it'll generate more views on it. Right. Like when you have your project on Kickstarter, like if you follow other people, when they back it, you're going to get a notification about it. Or when you go to the Kickstarter platform, it will recommend things to you based on your previous behavior. So if you back a lot of board games, then it'll show you board game projects. Whereas if you were just doing pre-orders on your website, you would have to do all of the marketing and Mm -hmm. getting the word out on your own, which I think as we've discussed in the past, a lot of board game publishers haven't put a ton of time and money into marketing. And it's not like, I'm not saying they're being lazy about it, but they have small teams with only a few people and it's difficult to focus on marketing when you have to focus on actually making products and distributing them. (laughs) Yeah. I think we've definitely also seen a lot of board games that get published by smaller publishers that then later get picked up and distributed by larger publishers, either in the same country that they were kickstarted or more internationally. Like there have been some games that only get published in Germany or in the United States that then eventually get wider distribution as a result of another company picking up the game after the fact. I think there's some examples of that in some of the games that I own. Like I believe Pursuit of Happiness was originally only published by Artipia Games in France. I could be mistaken on this. I I know it was on Kickstarter but I don't remember if the Kickstarter came first or if it was published in a small run before that. Uh, I did not back the original Kickstarter. I just backed the expansion. So I'm probably, I could be speaking out of turn there. Yeah, one of the games on my list was originally a small print run in a different language. And I'll stop there. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Spoilers. No. Something on my list is also like that. So you know what? Let's, let's hop into the list. Let's talk about some of our favorite games that came from Kickstarter. And I will admit this list was difficult for me because so many games have been on Kickstarter. Yeah, I was surprised by how many games have been on Kickstarter because I don't back Kickstarters myself, but I have a lot of games that were on Kickstarter before. Uh, Ditto. And a lot of the games... So I had to narrow my list down via some means. So these are not just my favorite games that happened to have been on Kickstarter at some point. The way I did my top five list is these are games that were primarily distributed through Kickstarter, originally distributed through Kickstarter, or their companies are 
using Kickstarter as their primary method of distribution for most of their games, if that makes sense. So like, these are all games where Kickstarter was kind of the main focus. Mm-hmm. Um, so these will not necessarily mesh up with like my top hundred games, probably like the order wouldn't make sense if you paired them up with other things, but it's what I did. So yeah, I also try to do it where it's like the first printing of that game was Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because there are ones where like new editions are coming out that are not like nowadays that are Kickstarter for the new edition, but the old ones were not. And those are the ones I have or something. <laughs> so. Awesome. Well, I will kick things off with my number five, and that is Tiny Epic Quest. This one is a one of the tiny epic games from Gamelin Games. I truthfully do not like most of the tiny epic series. There are a couple of them that are fine. There are a couple of them that I dislike. And this one I adore. Tiny Epic Quest is basically like if The Legend of Zelda was a board game and that board game fit in a box that's really tiny for some magical reason. I like playing it. I like teaching it. It's It feels thematic and fun. And the little this one has the little item meeples that you can uh, give your meeples little items to hold. And that's just fun and cute and uh, it's a gimmick, but it's a gimmick I like. So Tiny Epic Quest is my number five. My number five is The Resistance Avalon. So this was an iffy one to put on my list because The Resistance, which The Resistance Avalon was based off of, was a Kickstarter. But then The Resistance Avalon was Kickstarter. And this was like way in the early days of Kickstarter. And I think it was Kickstarter because it was they were a small publisher and didn't have the cash flow to make it. So I think that kind of counts for oh, for sure. starter but like it was based on the resistance so there was already that game kind of existing <laughs> so <laughs> but otherwise this is like one of my favorite games so yeah resistance avalon great game my number four you all heard me talk about a bit in 2019 and that is qe so qe which stands for quantitative easing is the bidding game where you can bid any amount of money you want uh you're trying to get companies during the economic like boom of like pre the recession and you can spend as much money as you want but whoever spends the most money by the end of the game loses automatically i played this one a bunch in 2019 although admittedly i can't play it anymore right now because a couple of the tiles got eaten by maybe my dog (laughs) So I need to maybe reach out to uh, boardgametables.com and see if they have replacement parts because a couple of my tiles are chewed on (laughs) and therefore cannot be used anymore, which is kind of a bummer. But maybe I'll figure out a a creative solution to that. But uh, I love it. It's fun and unique and different. And yeah, that's why QE is my number four. My number four is Two Rooms and a Boom, which is a party social deduction game. You need like, 10 or more people but there's two different teams red and blue and then a gray team that's neutral and everyone has a hidden role and there's two rooms and you're sending people back and forth and you're just trying to like end up with your win condition everyone has a different win condition so there's negotiation and showing people what your roles are and stuff it's it's really fun if you have a large group of people but yeah it was originally a print and play but the published version was kickstarter which and the published version is cool it comes in a box and has nice like waxy cards i don't know it's they seem like waterproof <laughs> i love that you were like it's really cool it comes in a box <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, i feel like 
to print and play. <laughs> I know, no. It's just funny because, like, yeah, most board games do tend to yes, come in that's boxes. True. But no, it's a nice box. I knew what you meant, which is why I'm, I'm giving you grief about it because it is. It's a nice box. <laughs> All right, my number three is Sprawlopolis. Sprawlopolis is one of my favorite button-shy games, one of my favorite small cooperative games. It is an 18-card game that you can play with one to four players, and it works at all of those play counts, which for an 18-card game just blows my mind. It is really, really fun. I have enjoyed it Solo, two players, three players, four players, all of them. It's wonderful. You're building a little city and the scoring conditions are variable and different every single time you play. I just adore this. Button Shy puts most of their stuff on Kickstarter and this one is one of my faves. So that is why Sprawlopolis is my number three. My number three is Monikers, which is another party game. It is similar to Time's Up in that you're guessing words and then there's three different rounds. There's a round where you can say anything and then there's a round where you say one word and then there's a round where you act out words. And Monikers has like, the things that you're guessing are kind of obscure and sometimes are long phrases. So it can get really funny. And I really like that. So that's Monikers. My number two is Fireball Island. Fireball Island was uh, published on Kickstarter by Restoration Games. And if Kickstarter didn't exist, this reprint of Fireball Island would not exist. There's no way because it's this giant formed plastic (laughs) island that you can roll marbles down. It is a remake of a game from the 1980s. Honestly, I am baffled as to how the original game got published. Truly. Like it's... I just, how, how, how did that go to mass market in the eighties? It's same thing with dark tower. A a lot lot of of, games that were like, there were games coming out in the eighties that I wonder if it was just like kind of gaming was kind of hitting a renaissance in general, like video games were coming up. And so maybe cool board games were also kind of in that same group where people were just willing to blow some money on stuff. I don't know, but this new edition of fireball Island is kind of, in my mind, what one of the best things that can come from Kickstarter is, is it's big, it's epic, it wouldn't exist otherwise. It's really fun. It's got great table presence. It's good for families. It's good for kids. It's good for adults. I've never played it with a kid. I've only played it with adults. And it's a lot of fun. I just recently got the Spider Springs expansion. Restoration Games was kind enough to send that over. And I haven't been able to play with it yet, but I'm hoping to soon. I really adore it. So that is why Fireball Island is my number two. My number two is what I was referring to when we were talking about games that are published in a different language first, and that is Deception, Murder, in Hong Kong. It was originally called CS Files, and I think it was in Chinese. And like I had heard about it back when it was CS Files, but I couldn't play it. And then it was brought to Kickstarter by Gray Fox Games, which happens to be our sponsor. But I liked it we've, before. We've talked about how much we like this game. <laughs> yeah. This is not a this is not a, a fan servicing our sponsor here. You and I both love Deception. Yeah, yeah. So this is another social deduction game. Uh, but you're trying to find a murder. It's kind of like Mysterium mixed with social deduction, where one person knows who the murderer is and is giving clues to everyone else, but can't talk, and they're giving clues like by pointing to or placing things on these cards that have words on them that are trying to point to what the murderer weapon and clue are. So it's a fun, I guess, team game because there could be an accomplice with the murderer and stuff. So everyone else is trying to figure out who the murderer is. And I really like it. And that's Deception, Murder in Hong Kong. 
So my number one game is The Networks. The Networks is from Formal Ferret Games, designed by Gil Hova. And actually, just recently, the new... A standalone two-player version of the networks called the Rival Networks just ended its Kickstarter campaign. And I got to play the Rival Networks at PAX Unplugged, so that was really cool. I liked the Rival Networks, but for me, the network still has my heart, the larger game. I like the big, long one. In the networks, you are TV executives running television networks, and you are placing shows in your nightly time slots and attaching stars to those shows and placing ads on those shows trying to gain the most viewers. It is thematic. It is a unique theme, very different from a lot of others. It is just really, really fun. And then uh, some of the expansions that also went through Kickstarter added some really cool asymmetric powers that I love playing with as well. This is one of those few games that like, I pretty much love all of it. Like the, the base game, all of the expansions, everything that's come out for it, I throw it all in the box and I play with all of it and it's great. And uh, Gilhova tends to put most of his games on Kickstarter and I like a lot of his other games as well. But I think for me, my favorite game of his and my favorite kickstarter game number one the networks my number one i didn't actually realize was a kickstarter game until i was today when i was looking at the the list of kickstarter games on bgg but it is wavelength which is another party game that came out 2019 i'm not sure i guess it was on kickstarter because of the big plastic dial maybe i don't know (laughs) it's made by the same people who make monikers oh okay it's Alex Haig. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his last okay. name right, but it's the same same designers. Well, there's some and of the same associated Warsh. people. Yes. <laughs> and I, I backed the Kickstarter. So oh, that's okay. how I got my copy of Wavelength was through the <laughs> Kickstarter campaign. Yeah, we got ours after. But it's one of those party games where you're trying to be on the same wavelength as your teammates. So someone gives a clue and everyone's trying to guess. But there's a dial where you're trying to guess. So there's this, this really cool mechanism <laughs> with, with a dial that's covering up where the the answer is and then you turn the dial and then you open it and see if you got close to it it's really neat all of the games on your list are all party i know (laughs) (laughs) i like party games i guess well i think it's also because i didn't i haven't backed or played a lot of the really big kickstarter games spirit island and gloomhaven were on my short list but but I guess I like party games better. It's interesting because like, I know there are some 18xx games that you got through Kickstarter. You mentioned in one of our previous episodes that you were backing 18CZ yeah. and some other stuff like that. So. Yeah, I haven't played 18CZ yet. It's still in shrink. And then the other Kickstarters that I backed, I haven't gotten them yet because like they were they, recent. Yeah, that was just in 2019. Oh. All right. Well, maybe yeah. maybe some 18xx games will hop up there with the party games eventually. <laughs> yeah. But honestly, I like your list. Yeah. So. Well, and then also another thing with the 18xx games, they oh, most of them are reprints. So that wouldn't qualify on my, <laughs> on your uh, yeah, based on our little yeah. kind of self-imposed rules here. Yeah. But truly, self-imposed rules are not new games or reprints of older games. Kickstarter is doing a really great job mm-hmm. of making board games easier for some people to publish, easier for some gamers to buy. And honestly, it's pretty exciting. Like the the term Kickstarter board game isn't a bad thing anymore. Like really yeah. at all, I don't think. Like, yes, there are bad games on Kickstarter, of course. That's never gonna, but there's bad games that go to mass market. There's bad games that end up in hobby stores. There's bad games everywhere. But I'd say the overall quality of board games coming through Kickstarter has, as you mentioned earlier, increased, I would say exponentially. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really exciting. I yeah. 
love that we're just getting a bunch of cool new games through a bunch of different channels. So if uh, you all have a favorite game that you backed on Kickstarter or that was on Kickstarter and you acquired it later, shout us out. Head over to our Twitter, Facebook, Board Game Geek Guild, Instagram, all the usual places, and let us know what your favorite Kickstarter game is, especially if it's one that maybe is a little lesser known, uh, because we'd love to hear about it. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, BoardGameBlitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. Can you predict what emotions a situation will make your friends feel? Pick up a few links today from your friendly local game store or grayfoxgames.com to find out. Gray Fox Games, quality games cleverly crafted. Did you know you can support our show and get cool perks for as little as $1 a month? Become a patron to listen to unedited episodes and join our private Slack channel, which lets you chat with us and other Blitzkeepers directly. Head to patreon.com slash boardgamebliss to become a patron today. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mount. Board Game Bliss is part of the Dice Tower Network. Until next time, 99 podcasts of Blitz to your feed, 99 podcasts of Blitz. Enjoy them now. Pass them around. We're almost at 100 episodes of Blitz in your feed. Bye, everyone. Bye. And I'm going to say when the contest is going to end, but I don't know that because we didn't determine that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Like a bunch of games coming out every week. Whoops. I'll record that. It's time for this episode's alliteration puzzle. In our last episode, we asked you to retheme a party game about trying to dial in to someone's thoughts for marsupials who can't sit still. What game was that, Ambie? That was Wiggly Wallaby Wavelength. <laughs> that was a funny one. All right, this episode, again, three words, all starting with the same letter. We are asking you to retheme a formal ferret game that involves spelling for concerned laborers. Good luck, everyone.